welcome to Baseball Barbecue, the only podcast on the po- on the Ringer Podcast Network actively trying to win the NL Central. Jordan, we're going for it. We have the pieces. We have the roster. Big picture doesn't. So I'm saying not trying to win. <laughs> it's going to be hard to top uh, the Brewers signing Daniel Robertson, but I like our chances to uh, increase our, our postseason odds more than literally anybody in that godforsaken division. Uh, Jake Mintz, I'm excited about this episode. We have a wonderful conversation with Clinton Yates of ESPN about the one and only Hank Aaron that you will be hearing uh, later on in this episode. Uh, but before we get to Clinton, we are going to talk about uh, some some roster moves that have taken place since we last spoke. Uh, and we're going to do that right after this. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that throws you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Nothing like roster moves. Jordan, move those rosters around. What do you want to talk about? What do we got to talk about? What's on the list? What's on the roster move list? Surprise, surprise, Jake. You'll never, you'll never believe this, but we recorded something and then news happened in the time it took us to record and get the podcast up. Yes, JT Real Muto is returning to Philadelphia and we needed to hop in before we get into the remaining of our hot stove discussion at the start of this podcast and tell you that, yes, we know JT Real Muto is going back to the Phillies. If you thought the Chase Utley episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia was a little disappointing and... He was not as electric as you may have hoped. Well, let me tell you about the JT Real Muto episode. That's probably not going to happen. Uh, no, this this makes a lot of sense. I mean, it is it's almost a necessity for them because it, it's weird, right? Because he was already on the team, and so it doesn't feel like a huge addition compared to where they were last year. But if they had not brought him back, this was a team that was clearly outside, and maybe still is probably outside of the top three in that division behind the Mets the Nats, and the Braves. But this does kind of catapult them slightly back up into the conversation of them maybe being in the in the conversation. Exactly. The conversation about the conversation is, is still, still there. And, that, and that's important. You know, we I think both we had two free agents this offseason with LeMahieu and Real Muto that were so obvious 
in their needing to be re-signed that it was so ridiculous to think about them being anywhere else. And it seems like they'll both end up back where they already were. And that's, and that's good. And I think that's better for baseball anyway, because in this case, like real Muto, it's, it's probably one of the best fits you're going to find. The Phillies have very few catchers, uh, in the pipeline, but here's the thing: he's the best catcher in baseball. So it's like there's no one in right. baseball that could not necessarily use JT Romuto. But this keeps them relevant. It keeps their Bryce Harper happy. This is Bryce Harper's favorite player, who's been openly lobbying them to to bring him back, and that alone is probably worthwhile uh, to keep Bryce happy in that sense. And he's awesome. I mean, he's the best catcher in the game. I don't think it's really particularly close. And I would say too, for all the concerns, like oh, you know. Catchers don't age particularly well. That's true, but I would say that the value of having the best catcher in baseball, clearly, at least this year, probably next year, maybe the year after that, is worth whatever the maybe he's over being overpaid in years four and five. I think it easily, easily balances out, and uh, I would love to have Real Muto on my team. And while it does certainly look like the Phillies are five or six more moves away from you know being where these other teams are, if these are ifs, and you know any team that's in the Phillies tier, they're years and their outcomes hinge on ifs. However, you know, if you get eight war Bryce Harper and six war JT Real Muto, which is like not completely out of the question, that's a hell of a place to start. Yeah. And th- you, what you got to do is put yourself in a position for those ifs to break what, right. And the mm-hmm. Phillies have done that. Yeah. So uh, credit to Dombrowski for getting done what is essentially the bare minimum for keeping Phillies fans uh, placated uh, for this winter. But um, it is it is comforting to know because, I mean, it, and it's in some ways it's disappointing that he didn't have more of a market because, again, he's literally the best catcher in the league. But uh, it's a good fit. I'm glad he's staying there. And uh, it's going to keep the Annalise being... I mean, it is it's it is going to be the division to watch uh, by far. So, And we'll talk more about that later on in this episode, which we will proceed with right right now. Jake, as you see, because we are on a Zoom, but as the listeners cannot see because this is not being live streamed, I'm currently wearing a Toronto Blue Jays hat. They were one of the main topics of discussion last week on the episode where I essentially tried to bully them into doing things after listing off all of the players who they finished second on uh, over the last six months. And within hours, uh, my wish came true. As Kofi, as our buddy Kofi on Twitter says, cyberbullying, it works. (laughs) And George Springer, uh, of course, the big ticket item. It appeared for a hot second during the inauguration that Michael Brantley would be joining them uh, uh, as well. We can talk about that in a second, but let's just start here. George Springer, biggest contract in Blue Jays history, biggest contract we've seen so far this offseason. And uh, pretty straightforward, great fit, awesome player, excited to root for him not on the Astros. And uh, I think he's going to help them a lot. Yeah, I I wish I had uh, more sophisticated thoughts. But when you the, the Blue Jays have done a fantastic job of the hyper rebuild, a lot of great young talent. You can't win a World Series with just great young talent. You need some great peak talent. And George <laughs> Springer is that you need some one of the best postseason hitters ever cheating, not cheating, whatever. The Doesn't dude matter. has been unbelievable his entire career. And uh, did they probably pay a little bit? Did they pay a come play in Canada tax? Yeah, probably a little bit. Uh, but it's worth not it. Not my and- money. It's not your money. It's not Blue Jays <laughs> fans' money. And the, I think I said this last week about LeMay here or something. Like, there's just too much going on in the world right now for me to care 
a lot about what George Springer is making in 2027. I'm just trying to get through the day. Exactly, exactly. So uh, I'm very happy for Blue Jays fans that they finally landed someone. Uh, and they got Kirby Yates, too, who, if he's healthy, is absolutely one of the best relievers in baseball. Definitely could still use uh, some starting pitching help, which I assume they're still going after. Um, but the the other weird Blue Jays thing that happened was, again, literally, basically, as Biden is being sworn in, Michael Brantley is being reported to be going to Toronto. We have Canada a few with hours, the counterattack. Yeah, a few hours where it's like, oh, my God, they're going to get Brantley, too. There are rumors because Springer and Brantley are good friends, and it would have made sense for them to add a, a, another you know veteran bat there. And then a few hours later, I was like, nope, just kidding. He's going back to Houston. Uh, so that made it a little bit less of an exciting, you know, 24 hours for Jays fans. I know they were already being like, oh, my God, look at this lineup. Springer, Brantley, Biggio, Guerrero. It's like, OK, let's let's relax a little bit of a reality check. Uh, but, you know, I at think, the same time, another, I think the fact another, that it, it happened during it, the inaugura <laughs> the, during the inauguration made it even more memorable because like they announced Michael Brantley. Someone tweeted it out and it was like. All right, Canada, like chill. Like give us like two hours, please. 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 Like we're yeah. a little busy here. Um, and then it didn't happen. So like if it had been like a regular Tuesday afternoon, right. I don't think it would have registered as much, but it just felt like such like a hilarious happenstance. And then all of a sudden, no, but it is still significant, Michael Brantley going back to Houston. I mean, he's 80% of DJ LeMayhew, just as boring, just as much of an inevitable, frustrating postseason out. Um, and he's going back to the yep. Astros where it fits. Yep. Houston's still, uh, really good. And, uh, sorry to get one last dig in on Toronto, but it was amazing that they managed to give me one more second place finish, uh, <laughs> this off season with Michael Brantley while also uh, getting George Springer. But no, in general, very excited, um, to watch Toronto try and challenge the Yankees of New York, who we'll get to in a little bit. But before we talk about the Yankees, uh, Jake, I want to talk once again about the Nationals of Washington, who earlier today on Tuesday announced their deal with Mr. Brad Hand, mm. uh, who's had one of the stranger, uh, I would say, free agency situations that we've had in some time. Cleveland could have had him for a very reasonable $10 million option. They were like, no, we're Cleveland. We don't spend any money. We're number two on the poverty franchise uh, power rankings. Uh, so they let him go. Anyone could have claimed him for that amount. They don't. He becomes a free agent. There's all kinds of rumors. There was a point where it was like Mets close with Brad Hand. That didn't happen. Uh, and then now he's a Washington National. Another move for the Nats as they try and be a, a also relevant force in the National League East. Something that I told them that they should do back in uh, December. And I'm glad they're following up on it. I love this move. Brad Hand, one of the best closers in baseball last year. Velo dropping a little bit, but I don't think it's a huge cause for concern. And what? It's a one-year deal? Mm-hmm. One year no deal. such thing as a bad one-year deal. Yeah, in my yeah. opinion. And I think that this is, uh, again, like they go Schwarber, they get Bell. I think they probably could make uh, at least another move or two. Maybe they get into the, the trade market with Chris Bryant or something. Um, but I just, I think this is, I think this is good. But, but Jake, we had a hypothetical we wanted to discuss. But Bobby, do you have Brad Hand thoughts? Uh, do you have hands, Bobby? I, I do have hands, thankfully. That's how I edit this do very, hand, this very do podcast. Hand, hand no, thoughts? I, I don't want to talk about I don't want to talk about Brad Hand, whatever. You guys are much much more professional than I. You know way more about the loss in Velo, whatever. I want to ask Jake, no such thing as a bad one year contract. Can I get um can I get fifty mil to produce this pod this year or what? You want to give me that contract? Fifty <laughs> mil? Uh, I mean within reason. Listen. Bobby, we don't pay your contract. <laughs> no, no, you guys pay me on Venmo. Oh, shoot, 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 right. Shoot. We Venmo Bobby. To, we Venmo Bobby. You haven't, to pod. you haven't been seeing my requests. What the hell? No oh, wonder. I, 
I'm just, I just, I've just swiped them away and then forgotten about it. Sorry, you just have to hit me, hit me with a reminder. Carry Uh, on, gentlemen. Carry on. There are obviously bad one-year contracts, but (laughs) very few of them will hamper you long term. Anyway, Bobby Wagner, uh, within Brad Hand got Jordan and I thinking about something, which is that the Nats are obviously going for it in the NL East, which is good. But if you look at the NL East, all five teams are theoretically taking steps forward to to try and win this year. Braves just won, you know, we're one game away from the World Series. The Phillies just got Dave Dombrowski, which signals that they're trying to win now. The Nats are making all the moves that we've talked about. The Marlins made the fucking playoffs somehow last year. They're probably not as good as the other four teams, but they're definitely trying to win. By the way, like you say, oh, the Marlins, they haven't spent anything. And yeah, obviously their payroll is still low. They picked up Starling Marte's option, which if you're looking at the other poverty franchises like Cleveland, they yeah. did not do the spend. So they they are moving in the right direction. And then, you know, obviously the Mets. All offseason, talking about the Mets. Yeah, and so all five right, of those of teams are in the green arrow up direction, except maybe Philly's like a bit of a sideways arrow. But whereas in the NL Central, Jordan, that's five, probably five four red down Five down. red down arrows, and I would say that like the Cardinals are like half down. They Cardinals, they're not, but they're like they, just sitting. They certainly there. haven't gotten better. They certainly haven't gotten better, right? Right. Um, and so, so that yeah. is a division going in the wrong direction. The NL East looks like a way harder fight to win that division, whereas the Cubs could win the NL Central with eighty-one wins. And this got us thinking: if you're the Nats, what would you pay as a franchise? What is the value of? Switching spots for the year, one year, with the Pirates. Now, I'm not saying that money goes to the Pirates because I would say straight up, trade, swap, Nats, Pirates, they would both want to do that. The Pirates are not trying to win baseball games and would have a much easier time not winning games in the NL East. And geographically, not a huge deal. Let's say the Nats are able to move to the NL Central one-time donation to a charity of their choice. For one year. For one year. For one year. What is that worth? Because like, okay, Brad Brad Hand is $10 million for one year. Yep. And Kyle Schwarber's eight. So they've already paid, this is how I was thinking about it. They've already paid $18 this year. Um, And I know there's all kinds of deferrals, of course, because it's the Nats. But whatever. Essentially, they paid $18 to get closer to the Mets and Braves for this year. Now, if you if it's eighteen million to get closer to the Mets and Braves by like three or four wins, maybe even less, how much is it worth it to just get into a division where you maybe automatically are projected to be the winner? I'm gonna say a number. <laughs> I'm gonna say a number. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna say fifty million dollars. <laughs> okay. Fifty I million dollars. <laughs> is it worth it? To move to the NL Central for fifty million dollars. Uh, and again, by the way, to the to the as to where this money goes, I have no idea. Whatever. Um, one time, one time donation charity. Retreat. It goes to some sure. It goes to charity, and for some reason, Manfred's like, "Great, he gives fifty million dollars to charity." He gives to charity. <laughs> Thanks, I, learners. I mean, <laughs> this is the thing. The, the the best part about this is if there's someone smarter than us listening to this. There, this is an article worth writing. Okay, now we don't have the whole Pakoda projections yet. We'd have to. It would be better to do this on like March fifteenth when course, the rosters yeah, are set, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we know exactly how much it would be worth it to basically improve. Because you're basically, what does it cost to improve your odds of winning the division? Because that's the goal here. The, the, the idea is that it would be easier for them getting to, get the to the postseason, win the division, getting to the postseason, and getting into the postseason. I, right, dude. 50, I, I think mean, it's fifty million dollars. I think it's fifty million dollars. <laughs> 
I, I, I logically that doesn't sound that crazy. Um, I still think it probably ends up being less than that. I think we just have to find someone smarter to figure out the math here, uh, in, in you know, in March and figure it out. I, I was going to say 30. I was going to say between 20 and 30. I think. Bobby, do you have thoughts on this? Uh, how much, I mean, it is different for the Nats than it is for the Mets, to be clear. I would say for the Mets, the price is probably even higher. Well, as a Mets fan, Bobby, what do you think the Mets should pay? Again, not your money. One-time donation, charity of choice. But imp- impossible for me to say what they should pay because it's not my money. I don't care. They should pay how much is Steve Cohen worth? They should pay thirteen point nine billion to move exactly. to the to NL move Central. To the NL Central. <laughs> right. What's However, the, what do you think this number is? Like, what, what do you think they would do? I think they like twenty million. You know, the like Mets. Wh- I think it's got to be higher than that for them. Oh, the for the Mets. Well, why is it higher for the Mets? I mean, why? Because they more. I guess there's more pressure on because they want to make it more. But the Nats are not that winning. much better. The Nats are better than the Cardinals, I think, but they're not that much better than the Cardinals. Right. Whereas if the Mets right. are in the NL Central, they're the runaway favorite. Whereas in the you NL East, you talking about the Cardinals makes me not want the Mets to trade into the NL Central. <laughs> I don't want them to be anywhere near the Cardinals. Please, uh, I have no faith that they will beat the Cardinals in any right. series at all, ever. No matter who's on the team. Right. Can okay. I just say really quickly? Um, it would be a, a travesty if we did not follow up on the poverty franchise thing and just make fun of Jake a little bit right now. Because the Orioles <laughs> are asking players to take... I was going to take... do this at the end. But no, you oh, already okay. brought it up and we're already here. Okay, real time. The Orioles asking players to take deferrals on arbitration salary is an absolute clown show. It's Lun- bad enough. It's lunacy. Bad. Listen, we, we thought that the you know Cleveland baseball team trading... Cookie Carrasco would be the most insulting thing done to a cancer survivor uh, this offseason. But what the Orioles are doing, Trey Mancini, it's Santander, who's making like $1 million. Yeah, bad. I was going to say, it's like the equivalent of a Venmo. Like, yo, can I just like hit, can I hit you later? Can I get you later? I'll get you. you Or it's like, okay, like in Breaking Bad, in Breaking Bad when Walter White is like, hey, could you cash this check on Monday? Yeah, well, true, but... It's actually like if you and I went out and got beers together and the total came to $30 and your portion of it was 15 you were like, I'll Venmo you 10 What? That's so weird. That's and so weird. And then five later. I know that you have the money. <laughs> oh, that is actually a great way to put it. Yeah, it is so specifically cheap in a way that is hard. It's very easy to understand like, oh yeah, you don't want to give a really good player $300 million. That's stupid, but like that's $300 million. This is just like, I'm throwing this in the bucket along with like the um the title belt that owners are passing around for suppressing salaries the most as stuff that is like almost too good to be fake. You know, it's like Yeah, I know. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, it's like also, probably not way, all of us can have a Steve Cohen. All it's right. It's also so bad. Uh, sugar what daddy ma- Steve Cohen. <laughs> what last thing what makes it Sorry, extra I, bad? I can't hear you. What what's what's that? I can't hear you over the sound of being you being broke. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Last last thing that makes it so bad, then we'll move on to the Yankees who are in a weird poverty franchise of their own right now, which we'll get to, is that, like, no one's talking about the Orioles, right? Because they're not doing anything. So, like, this is the only news about the Orioles. Like, and them even, unceremoniously getting rid of all their... But that was oh more my massive. God. That's massive's right. fault. That's, that's massive. Getting that's their broadcast. Anyway, whatever. Okay, so that's bad. Uh, thank you, Bobby, for bringing that up. I'm sorry, Jake. It's, it's tough to watch. And honestly tough to make fun of as well to conclude Uh, this rambling conversation a hundred million dollars to move to the nl central i mean trying to think about like this right how much more is someone willing to pay to live in manhattan live in new york mm, live in brooklyn right mm, mm. except like that except how much more it's kind of the reverse conversation (laughs) but but uh very interesting all right 
Uh, last hot stove topic before we get to our good friend Clint Yates talking about Hank Aaron is the New York Yankees, who made two very interesting moves, two trades uh, since we last spoke, that both signify the same thing. One was an addition, and one was a subtraction. Those are opposites. Which is, those are opposites. Uh, would you like to talk about Jameson Tyon first or Adam Tyon. Adivino let's first? Let's talk about Tyon. Okay, let's talk about Tyon. Uh, the Yankees trade for Jameson Tyon, the latest Pittsburgh Pirate exodus for a package of four very solid prospects, whatever. Don't have to talk about them, really. Uh, hope they're good. Hope it works out for the Pirates. Great. Jameson Tyon has, uh, is coming off his second Tommy John surgery. He was the number two overall pick in the 2010 draft between Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. He uh, beat cancer again. Holy shit. In between two Tommy John surgeries, that's one and insane. O. He's 1-0 yes. against cancer. Uh, he is, uh, by all accounts, an amazing teammate, uh, an amazing baseball person and friend. And we, uh, friend, you know, just well-liked Thing. across the game. Yeah. Now he goes from the Pirates, where no one's really been thinking about him the last three years, to an extremely important part of the New York Yankees rotation. And uh, good for them for adding James and Tyon. Although it is notable because while I commend them on this move, they did this because Jameson Tyon is barely making any money, and it is very easy for them to trade for Jameson Tyon as opposed to going out and signing Tanaka, et cetera, et cetera. Still good, but very obvious why they would target a guy like him. Yeah. Yes, but I also think it's the type of like, it's a relatively low risk move. Oh, it's not. Right? Definitely, definitely. I don't think that this necessarily precludes them from making an additional move. At least in theory, it shouldn't. However, the Adam Adovino news. The trade he was sent to the Red Sox kind of signifies that the Yankees are very interested in getting under the luxury tax threshold for this yeah. season. And that's yeah. what that the Adovino move is all about. Exactly. And it's important to point out, like, the they don't trade with the Red Sox. Like, that doesn't really happen. They haven't made a trade since Steven Drew in 2014. Yep. Top and of my before head. Then, before then, it was 1997 or something. And so that doesn't happen. And so the fact that they are that desperate to get off of whatever $8 million. Again, the whole point, the reason you trade for a guy making $2 million is because you can stay under two ten. The reason why you dump a reliever who is still good. And by the way, if you say, wow, Adam Adovino, he's not the same. He had one nightmare evening in Buffalo. That is really the extent to his yeah. bad season. He had one absolutely catastrophic, legendarily bad outing in Buffalo. Adam Adovino's no good, outrageous, very bad day. <laughs> Yes, six earned runs with no outs is going to tank your ERA in a regular season, let alone when you only pitch 18 innings, okay? So that's the extent to his bad season. I still think Adam Bonavino is very good. And credit to Heim Bloom, who they play their own luxury tax games. I recognize that. But, like, good for them. They had a great quote where it's like, yeah, I know they're the Yankees, but, like, if I'm playing scared because, oh, no, what if it blows up in our face so we trade for a Yankee and then it doesn't work out? Like, I'm not doing my job. Like, I got to go improve. And if the Yankees are just going to dump this great reliever who we desperately need <laughs> and a pitching prospect, then I'm going to go do that. So, look, good move I have Sox, spent I so little time thinking about the Boston Red Sox over the last calendar year. And that's been great for me. Just it's been fine. Like, I'm, my life has not been different at all. However, last couple of days, signing Kike Hernandez, signing Hunter Renfro, trading for Adam Adovino. I'm like half raising one of my eyebrows at the Red Sox being like, hmm. Obviously, oh, they'd be better players. than Mookie Betts, but that's yeah. neither here nor there. Uh, anyway, yeah. So the Yankees, easily the best team in the division. 
they benefit from the Rays also kind of taking a half step back. And Jamison Tyon is on top of the list of rootable Yankees. You and I, as regular human beings who are not from New York, obviously, uh, like any other regular baseball fans, there's the implied disdain for anything Yankee world. It's just in the DNA. It's just what what we do. And we always search for rootable Yankees for reasons to care about Yankees. Um, CC, no, there's no more rootable Yankee that ever than CC Sabathia, obviously. Right. Absolutely. And we're not Absolutely. just saying that because, you know, he's <laughs> on the Ringer Podcast Network, but Tyon's pretty up there now on rootable oh, yeah. Yankees. He, I would say he's either one or two. It's either him or Gary. Yeah. And I got to say, too, like, one of the, I know that there is a, a an unfortunate side of of these teams like the Pirates completely tearing it down. But like, I am always, and this is true during the season two, it is admittedly cool to watch Musgrove get plucked out of the worst team in baseball to the most fun team in baseball in San Diego in his hometown, right? Like to get t- tie on who loves Pittsburgh. And it's not like you, they don't respect and love the organization that they grew up in, but it's like to watch or Josh Bell, right? Like he didn't look like he was having fun last year and now he's on the Nationals and gets to play with Juan Soto. Tyon like, watching gets them. to have Garrett Cole pay for all of his spring training dinners. <laughs> right, exactly. Like there's a, that is a cool thing. And so I'm very excited for Tyon to have that opportunity to, to, to go from a team that was going to be, you know, once again, one of the worst in baseball to, to one of the best. So um, it's a good move. We hope he stays healthy. We're definitely pulling for him. And uh, like we said with the Kluber conversation, they're counting on counting on a lot of uh, health of guys who have not been healthy or have not pitched very much. But if you give your team that many options of guys who you're are maybe question marks, like you're probably going to hit on some of them and they're still going to be really good. So good move for the Yankees, although it's very clear that $210 million is the salary cap. And until teams are willing to go over it, which by the way, for those who are not familiar, it would really only cost them an extra few million. Like going over does not mean you're suddenly taxed like $50 million. Like that's not how it works. It's 10% on each dollar, whatever. It's not very much. These guys are also rich. So I wish teams would not be treating it like that. And maybe the Mets will go over maybe the Red Sox Dodgers, but uh, watching the Yankees play these, this, this limbo with 210 is so silly. Buying my Nationals license plate that says no luxury taxation without representation. Uh, All right, Jordan. That's enough news. Uh, Let's move on to our interview. Conversation? Discussion? With Clinton Yates about Hank Aaron. Uh, It was great. We enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, And here it is with no further ado. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. That's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. 
That is netsuite.com slash ringer. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. All right, we are now very thankful and excited once again to bring back Clinton Yates to Baseball Barbecue of ESPN. Clinton, uh, welcome back to the show, my friend. What's up, kiddos? How are we doing today? We are doing, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. Uh, I think what we are bringing uh, you here to talk about today is a topic that could not possibly be contained within one podcast. Um, but you were certainly one of the first pr- people we thought uh, could at least help us in that effort. So, uh, Clinton, we're going to talk about Hank Aaron. And um, I uh, I think in terms of trying to figure out where to begin, I think well, that's... I, I, I want to start quickly oh, yeah. somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> For the remainder of this pod, is it Hank Aaron or Henry Aaron? Because in the okay. Howard Bryant book, which I just inhaled in three days, he talks about how people who knew him called him Henry and people who didn't called him Hank. And I That's don't know him. Specific. I didn't know him. That's way too specific. Black folks called him Henry. That's it. Yeah. Okay. okay. Then Jordan and I will go with Hank. That's fine. Right. And that's what I'm saying. That's all there is right. to it. That's, that's something that was just derived from my dad. He thought Hank was a nickname unbecoming of his worthiness. And I don't mean that in any sort of hardcore way. I just yeah. mean like if you'd been known as Jacob your whole life, to everybody and then you got famous and people started calling you hey reiki jakey or something like that you'd be like no i'm not calling him that i'm calling him jacob you know what i'm saying it's along right. those lines that we're sort of talking about so henry for me y'all do as you choose with that information there you go that is that is a helpful place to start uh obviously because um there were so many different directions that the hank aaron discussion uh went uh, in the in the days following uh, his death at the age of eighty six last week, and I think that's where I want to begin because it is this is the kind of figure that when you get this news, you I don't even know where to begin. I, I don't even know how to start grappling with the enormity of his life, of his career, of his stats, of his person. And so, when you got this uh, very sad news last week, like how did you start to kind of think about it? Well, my first reaction was obviously some sadness, but. Let's not remember, Aaron Aaron was old. You know what I mean? And Aaron, even though he did a lot of public appearances, including one very close to his passing in which he got vaccinated uh, for for the virus, uh, excuse me, the, for the pandemic, et cetera. Like, I wasn't super surprised because the last few times I'd seen Henry in person, I was like, man, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's tough. And you know how when you see somebody, particularly in baseball, where you think that might be the last time I see this person in public, you know, it's always kind of a bummer. And that was kind of how it was the last couple of times. Not that he looked bad. That's what I'm saying. But, you know, for those who don't know, Aaron was in a wheelchair for some time um, and, you know, didn't make a ton of public appearances, probably made more than most his age. But my point is that I was not shocked and freaked out. That was never going to be the case because obviously of a man of his age. Um, you know, these things happen. And I think also I just sort of sat and I thought to myself, I really wondered what people were going to say. Like for the first time in a long time, I was genuinely curious as opposed to sort of defensive or um, unknowing. Because listen, people, people pass all the time. Well, I have no idea who they were. 
You know what I mean? And they're legends in their field. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Or somebody says something about that person. Oh, I did not know that that person was connected to that person in any way. Or sometimes somebody passes and you're like, yo, don't get out of pocket about this because you don't know what you're talking about. You know, (laughs) and I didn't feel any of that. I didn't feel any of that with Aaron. You know, it was sort of like, this is a guy who most of America has known. Most of the people I know have known him as famous their entire lives. You know what I'm saying? Like literally. And so I thought it was more of an interesting look at how he affected America because you can talk about a lot of different ball players, but I'm not sure that there's a ball player whose simple like timeline in America has spanned more points of important baseball history than Henry Harris. Absolutely. I'm I'm curious for your personal perspective, like your personal interaction with Henry Aaron, the concept, the man, the story, you obviously never saw him play, right? Right. In person. And I, I think a lot about, you know, we've been unfortunate to lose a lot of baseball legends over the last year or so, all of whom none of us ever saw play, right? Right. And I'm curious how growing up, what was your relationship with Hank Aaron like? How was that passed down to you? How was his the figure of Hank Aaron understood by like, you know, teenage child Clinton Yates. Teenage, yeah, Tizians. So I think that Hank, now that I think about it, like, so like many baseball fans, I did go through an era of like, oh, I'm reading the books and oh, I'm looking at the old statistics and like, oh, I'm checking out the numbers because I want to know who's at the top. That wasn't the longest phase of my life. But in recall, like, I remember him being the first black player where like, yo, the numbers and the stories were like up there and they matched, you know, and that was that. There was not a lot of people that, I mean, I was saying this on television the other day, people forget. They get caught up in the home run discussion. Yo, Hank Aaron, again, career leader in ribbies and total bases and extra base hits. You could stop there and be like, this guy is a top five baseball player of all time based on that. You want to toss on 25 all-star appearances, my guy? You know what I'm saying? And you're like, whoa, like who even, and it was like, I remember one time and I asked my dad, I said, oh, what was, I, I said Hank Aaron. He goes, oh, Henry Aaron. And gets into this whole story. And I was just like, whoa. And, you know, I don't want to get into a sort of deification of a person because that's not even really necessary in this situation. But like, Henry was a dude that, again, was extremely respected by just regular old brothers who liked baseball. You knew who Henry Aaron was because he was Henry Aaron. Like, there's just no kind of way around that. And so I think for me, by the time I really started playing a lot and the time that I really started caring a lot, it's obviously when Barry Bonds came along. So for me, I had no problem calling Barry Bonds a better player than Henry Aaron. That wasn't something I was ever going to argue with anybody about because I didn't know any better. And I still don't necessarily know that I do. Even if I did, I would believe it. But like, he was very much the guy who was just an unassailable talent and had the numbers to back it up. You weren't going to walk into a room and talk any trash about Aaron. That just wasn't feasible, sensible. It didn't work on any level. Why would you do that? You know what I'm saying? And so, like, I think that also made, on a generational level, it was made for a very different discussion about Bonds versus Aaron. I'd love to know what Bryant thinks about that. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, to me, I mean, you know, home run king, sure, that's the title that Henry Aaron has, but Barry Bonds hit more homers. You know what I'm saying? So, like... Whatever, you know, and I don't mean to say that to denigrate anything that Aaron has done, because all I'm saying is that the reason why that all matters is because I think 
when Barry hit the um when he hit the record breaker, and they had that pre-recorded speech from Aaron, ready to rock. It was just like, man, look at that. That that's Henry Aaron. Like, I don't care. You know, he's publicly said before he's not about steroids. I mean, he took a stand. You know, that is Aaron. And people thought, man, I wonder what this dude's gonna do if his record gets broken. Sure enough, he did exactly what he should have done. He congratulated the dude who did it and got on with his life. You know, and that to me, sort of a long tail story, sort of encapsulated all that. What I expected, I was really hoping he was going to do that, and he did. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was, it was, it was pretty cool. And I think my experience with Henry is a guy that probably more so than anybody else I can think of, maybe, maybe not, but like pretty much for the most part, I really wish I had seen play. Like the the, the highlights aren't enough. Highlights aren't enough. I would watch that guy play every single day of the week if I could. And a lot of the highlights we have are like half washed, older versions of him, right? Whereas yeah. you know we don't peak like 1957 Hank Aaron highlights look like they were filmed with a potato, right? We don't <laughs> exactly. have that. Not, not even real. Right. Um, also, like I just feel like. I don't even necessarily know. Also, by the way, he stole a lot of bases too. You know what I'm saying? All around player. I, like, I don't even, I can't even think of a player who I would like do the compare to thing. And that bothers me. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it bothers me that I don't really know what Henry looked like when he was, I don't know, taking a knee on a single to right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, like doing regular, doing regular baseball yeah. guy shit because exactly. all of the highlights that endure that like have survived that we have are him doing crazy shit. And like monumental stuff, which is obviously important that that all exists. But like, right, I, I want to see him roll over. Right? Exactly. You know, give me a dribble at a third. Let's see how Aaron runs that one out. You know, I, so that's the kind of stuff that I think about when I think about guys like him. Like, I just wish I'd seen more, you know, straight up. Yeah. I would also say that, like, it, it, you mentioned how he's just so revered, so respected. When you just look at the totality of the career, just straight statistics, it is a, it is a perfect baseball career. It's 20 straight all-star games. He was never injured. And the fact that this guy who was not huge, he was not a he was like a regular sized dude. Like to your point, what does that look like? How is this guy never striking out? How is this guy going oppo upper deck? Like how how is this even possible? It's so hard to to really wrap your mind around the the baseball player alone, let alone the fact I mean, everything else that I think uh, Tony said it really well uh, on Around the Horn the other day. Who knows if this was even the best version of Hank Aaron? This might have been, you know, a version that was, you know, tampered down because of everything that he was going through. And so that alone is also very hard to grapple with. The Braves didn't fucking build around him for the peak of his career. Like we dunk on the Angels now all the time. Deservedly (laughs) so, right? Because they're wasting away the peak of one of the greatest players in baseball history. The Braves are so lucky that they won a World Series when Hank Aaron was 23 or 24. Because if they don't, I mean... He was the best player in baseball for a decade and they didn't win more than 88 games. Have you guys seen the, uh, did I send this to you? The Washington Post uh, career through baseball cards of no, Henry Aaron? Did you no, see those? That's great. Oh, that's great. oh, hold on. You know what? I, I mean, I'm going to have to search and send it to you now. Like it's, it's amazing because you don't even know. Y'all ain't even on it. I love it when I show you guys stuff you haven't seen. <laughs> Usually to send Clinton stuff that he hasn't seen yet, I have to send it to him really early in the morning before to make sure yeah. before he wakes up so that I can beat him to him already seeing it. All right, let's see. Hank Aaron career highlights. 
this is this is what I'm looking at now, right? Wow. Is, is every I guess every single year, right? You're welcome. Uh, first of from, all, from the beginning. Second of all, it's an amazing visual representation of a lot of things, and it has a lot of good information. So go ahead, wash over that. B wags, I know you're looking at it. Okay, well, check and it out. So, this is this is very helpful and, and also kind of, you know, a, a staggering way to think about Hank Aaron is I'm looking at the first one, right? I'm looking at his, what is, I guess would appear to be his rookie card. Yeah. And it is more reminiscent of that famous photo, which I know is in the Hank Aaron Museum. And I want to talk about your visit to that uh, in Mobile in a second. And a, mm -hmm. a photo that's been shared a lot where he was just about to leave and go play professional baseball. He looks like a, a kid, right? Yeah. But then you fast forward to the end and you look at what he looked like at the end when he hits, you know, 715. And I, it's like there's so much in between there that is just like wiped out because we don't have those highlights. and We don't think about it. But it is an amazing. It really is like a, an incredible uh, way to look at it. And baseball cards are obviously beautiful things. So and like um, that time in the middle, right? Like he wasn't the guy in baseball. <laughs> like it was Mays. It was Mantle. And he was just kind of chilling in Milwaukee hitting like 40 homers a year. Hitting 40 homers a year. No biggie. You know what I'm saying? Don't mind me. Just swinging a 38, 35 plus three bat over here <laughs> in the big leagues like a complete monster. The Flintstone you know what I'm Club. Like, what even is that? You know? For those of you, I mean, it's just like, what? I, uh, I, I told my kid brother that one time. I was like, what do you swing? He was like, I don't know. He was like, I, he was like, I, I don't like drop three. I swing drop four. People make fun of me, whatever. I'm like, Henry Aaron swung a plus three. Sometimes a plus four. He was like, what? And I was like, yeah, like, yeah, bro. Like, well, can I ask you about that? I want to ask you about that, right? So you have a, a younger brother who's yeah. a teenager right now. Right. And like He's a senior in high school right now. Senior in high school. What do you tell him about Henry Aaron, Hank Aaron? Like, what do you, what is that conversation like? I don't know because that we fully had that convo to be very it's honest. Not like, I understand it's not like the birds and the bees where you have to like no, sit no, no. down and like. <laughs> Listen, son, there's Willie and there's Hank. This right. is how we I talk about that. This I know. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I've really talked that much about it. But I think it's just, it's more things like spot stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like when we're talking about whatever he's doing or whatever we're doing in baseball, like something will pop up and I'll just be like, oh, by the by, you know what I'm saying? Here's what that was like for in, insert whatever player. And, you know, he's a pretty smart kid. He knows a fair amount. So we haven't done the like, we also haven't been on any baseball trip trips. You know what I'm saying? Together. Like if we go to a ballpark or whatever, I will lay down, you know, the entire foundation, et cetera. But, you know, it's just spot stuff like that here and there where I'm like, oh yeah, the way this is this thing about this weird baseball detail that involves some random old black guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, remember that. I'm like, all right. Uh, you mentioned baseball trips and uh, something that you were, of course, tweeting about the other day was your trip uh, down to Mobile. Although I guess I'm curious why you were there in the first place. Uh, so maybe you could shed some light about that. But you had a great thread. This was, I believe, in January of 2019 uh, where it you was, were down. It was two years prior to the day, like one behind, um, of Aaron's death, which was extra weird. Yes, just, that just so is, clear. that is extra weird. Um, but this is, this was obviously not somewhere there, but anyone can go and look at and read his bio and look at his baseball reference page. But, um, talk to us about that experience, uh, because, uh, I, I hope, I know that they don't have a team there anymore, but, um, clearly a place that is, is worthwhile visiting. So tell us about, uh, your, your trip to, to Hank Aaron's childhood home. So, my friend Craig Hoffman, who at the time was a radio reporter for the NFL, and he also happens to be my very good friend, um, he was like, dude, you should come to the Senior Bowl. And I was like, bro, I'm not going to the Senior Bowl. Like, 
he's like, look, you want to do a little bit more in football because this is sort of a personal side. I was like, yeah, no, I kind of, I kind of, I need to cover some more football in some more sort of ways so that I can care about it more for various reasons. Blah, blah, blah. He was like, oh, dude, he was like, dude, come to the, come to the senior bowl. I'm like, bro, senior bowl is a, like one of the wonkiest football things of all time in terms of like watching prospects practice and then play like a modified bowl game with weird rules. And it was just like, yo, I'm not doing that. And I was like, number two, it's in Alabama, dog. Tough sell for your boy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, sorry, not going. That's two flights. You know? that, right? Well, no, it's one flight and oh, a long direct. drive. Okay, a flight and, and a dr- drive. The drive is from Pensacola. And the drive is the scary part. Driving from Florida yeah. to Alabama yeah. at night. I was straight up like, I'm not doing that. Craig was like, I'll wait at the airport with you and we'll drive together. To and from. I said, okay, now I'll go. And I did. And in the middle of the week, because there's like a, it's like a Tuesday through Saturday situation. It rained one day and they play outside at some stadium that I don't know the name. It's got a hyphenated name. And if you looked at it, you would have thought like Forrest Gump played there. It's so old. And it rained one day and they move everything to the indoor practice facility. Basically, the point is that if you're not like one of the main, main scouts, it rains on a day at the senior bowl. You've got nothing to do that day. So I looked up the ballpark because, I mean, obviously knew that, um, you know, Hank was from Mobile, but I didn't know where the museum was. And so my plan was to go to the ballpark and look around and like maybe figure out later where the museum was. So you didn't know the house was there. I didn't know it was right there. And so I just went to the yard. And when I got there, I was like, <laughs> the heavens, this is where, Bobby, you put in the hallelujah audio. Anyway, um, and so I was like, yo, <laughs> wow, this is right here. And so there's like a little, you know how it is at these minor league parks where like basically the, the, um, the gift shop, the ticket sales, the front office, it's all the same room. You know what yes. I'm saying? And it's oh, just we know. Right Storage the closet. It's all there. It's right there by the front of the gate. So, you know, I'm looking around. I'm like, oh, man, they're closed. You know, obviously the ballpark's closed. It's raining. There's nothing. But it's not like it's closed and you can just sort of walk in. It's closed and like gated shut. And I'm like, oh, that's a bummer. So I walk around to the thing and I'm like, look inside. Somebody in there. And I just rapped on the door. And like, yeah, come in. You know, they're not whatever. They're just assuming somebody's trying to get out of the rain. And I walk in and the guys go, the guy stands up. He just goes, what the hell are you doing here? And I was like, he goes, and he points at the TV. And I was like, I'm not doing a show today. I'm just here because I'm, you know, at the Senior Bowl. And he just stared at me. And I go, so the museum, he goes, I'll let you in. Do whatever you want. And I was like, thank you. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it wasn't like some weird starstruck moment, but it kind of was. But it was the perfect opportunity for that to happen. Oh, I, I mean, you got to wield it there, man. But right then and there, I was like, thank you. Yes. Just open this thing up, turn on the lights, turn on the whatever. I'll see you when I see you. Being able to say, do you know who I am without having to say, do you know how I am? Didn't have to say it. It was so clutch. And so just quickly, I spent, I mean, we'll get back to the specificity of the museum, but just that that story wrapping up why I was there. I I was probably in there for two hours. You know what I'm saying? Because I was like, listen, nobody's here. It's the middle of a Wednesday afternoon. It's raining like hell. I'm reading every single word on these walls. Like, why not? You know? And did that, you know, it was a very emotional experience. It just stopped raining by the time that I got out. Again, angel sound, Bobby. And um, by that time, we do, uh, I came back out and they're like, what'd you think? I said, I don't want to say a word. I need to see the actual ballpark right now. 
You know what I'm saying? And like straight up. And they're like, sure. So we went inside the yard and like, you know, they gave me the tour of, and stuff. And like, it was just, I don't know. It was just a whole other experience because they also explained why that team is moving, which is just a weird story about like being between two markets. And like, as a result, you have to move because no one can claim. Like, it's one of the worst stories ever in terms of how minor league baseball has jammed up so many things. To think that Aaron Field is not occupied because of some regional dispute is just ridiculous. But that's a whole other story. Basically, I took in the whole thing at once and I sat down and when I got back in my car, I just, I mean, I probably cried for half an hour. It was just so intense. You know, it was, I had, I mean, I was there because of a friend, a buddy of mine who is a straight up ally friend of mine. I was there for football reasons. You know what I'm saying? And like, next thing I know, I'm in this immersion of, of a baseball situation that I just, I, I never expected to be in. And, um, it was, it was great. So that's, that's why I was there. It ended up being really good. We can get to what was in there, but that's, that's what happened, Jordan, is that I was just randomly there for a football thing. Bang, it rained. What's the ballpark? Well, I'm glad you clarified because it's an even better story than like, I mean, the way you told it on Twitter is great, but that is even more really highlights the, you know, stars aligning situation. On Twitter, like looking back at the thread, it's almost like the scene in The Hangover where they wake up and they're like, what's in my hotel room? It's like Yates just woke up and he was just in Mobile, Alabama and is like, oh, I'll go to the. Right. No. Nothing to do. I'm out here buying, you know, I'm out here buying just shorts at Dick's. Just on vacation. in time yeah you know so it's it weird so it was, what the yeah. house itself let's talk about the house itself what is actually in there they picked it up and moved it somewhere else which is a thing <laughs> yeah. jordan and i are actually weirdly familiar with because they do that with old synagogues all the time they'll just like yank it and <laughs> really? move it oh yeah all the time oh yeah because yeah. you can't be, know you can't be tearing it down and building it back up yeah, so you, you can't gotta, really you like, scoop it yeah scoop it scoop it and move it this is the sidebar question, but like, are the majority of people who do that as a matter of course, moving synagogues mm. typically, like, is that the bulk of the business in that right. field? Is it what percentage is that versus moving, <laughs> like, you know, Hall of Famers houses? Synagogue. I don't know. <laughs> we do synagogues, churches, home run king, childhood homes. <laughs> we'll move any building you need moved. Uh, I, all right. Sorry. This is how my brain works, y'all. No, anyway, I'm curious too, but um, fine. Go ahead. So, as the, okay, so what it is, is there's like a, it's just a typical, you might call them, I, I get the closest thing I can compare it to is what looks like a shotgun house in like New Orleans or whatever. It's just one, you know, one row basically of a home with a front porch and there's two rocking chairs on the front porch and there's a plaque. Now on the side of the house, I will say there's a little um, like display that shows how they moved it, you know, like with the process and how sort of difficult it was. It actually was quite the operation. Um, and you walk in and, okay, so it's set up like, how do I explain this? Like there's the house. So there's the front room, the side room, which goes to the next room, which is attached to the kitchen. And then there's one extra room that was built on. That's the back room. So it's basically, it's effectively one room, but it's divided into three rooms with a wall because, you know, one room houses were how people lived back then. Um, in the front, it's like, it's got like display places along the wall. So you're sort of moving through the home, but it's not furnished, but there are, there is some furniture. Like there are parts of it that are walled off so you can see how they would have lived. And basically you're doing a tour through somebody's home. It kind of reminds me of Mount Vernon. If you've been to Mount Vernon, that sort of setup in terms of like you're moving about the home, but it's just not as deep to the walls as Mount Vernon. Obviously it's, this makes any sense. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, but those are walled lined with memorabilia and there's also a couple of video screens or whatever, but the weird part, at least the weird part was for me, is that there's a constant loop 
of Hank's voice. And so it probably takes, if you're moving at a regular pace of a museum, it probably takes about half an hour if there's people in there and you're stopping and going. And so that loop is about a half an hour. That's how long Hank talks about his life. And as you go through it, you do. But when you're in here by yourself, there's nobody there. I'm just staring at Hank's stuff, listening to Hank talk, you know? And I'm like, I'm saying Hank because it was so far, it was, because that's what, you know, that's what it's written on. It's written in my brain, how much that was written on the, on the, um, on everything there. And I'm just like, this is so, it was like a, like I said, it was like an out-of-body experience because it felt like sort of a ghostly kind of scenario. I'm like, I'm in this guy's house and he's talking to me and I'm looking at his life story and I'm reading every word. So, but by, by the time you get to the back, it sort of it sort of wraps up his career and it has a lot more um like non-baseball stuff. Like there's a portrait of his parents. There's a couple other things that are just um more like not like personal memorabilia, but things that people gave to him, um, you know, through through that run. So it's a fascinating place, you know. I mean, I'm not gonna I, I, look. I don't know what it's like when people are there and whatever, whatever. But I, I, I mean, I, it was it's a kid in a candy store scenario. I can't even describe it. I want to ask you about like the the. This is a an overly simplified way to classify this, but like the Hank Aaron legacy, like now, yeah. like the kind of like the now what, right? So yeah. his story historically and still is kind of portrayed by a lot of white sports writing as like triumphant, as like a victory in a way. And like, obviously it is inspirational undoubtedly in, you know, his perseverance in the face of white supremacy, racism, et cetera, et cetera. But like, there's obviously huge issues with that tidy narrative. So like, I'm curious for you as one of baseball's preeminent black writers, when you sit and think about the totality of Henry Aaron's life, what washes over you personally? So I mentioned that point earlier about the lifetime, the timeline of his life being one that is such an interesting comparison to American history. I also think about in that regard, like there's, I mean, literally Hank Aaron was the last guy in the bigs who played in the Negro Leagues. You know what I'm saying? Like, so there's a legitimate end of an era concept that is as much a baseball one as anything. And, you know, I think about the guy who had what was sort of probably what we can just consider the last realistic chance, you know, who came from us, so to speak. Um, kid who didn't play high school baseball because the way segregation worked in Alabama, just glommed on with the Black Bears, an independent Negro League team that were sort of, you know, part of the association of Negro League teams. That's another discussion about what those were actually like um, in terms of that affiliation. And then gets on with the clowns. and. Like, that's a path nobody has ever taken since. Literally not a soul. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, I grew up not playing in school because the local team decided I was pretty good. Next thing you know, I'm playing in the Negro Leagues. Next thing you know, I'm playing in the bigs. That has not happened since, you know? And I think about it from a history path like that level, Jake. You know what I mean? Like, what he saw, the seeing some shit generation is a real generation, you know? And he is an ambassador of that, if not head of state in terms of baseball. And I think that, you know, this is what I highlighted on around the horn the other day is that if you just look at the baseball life, you will get the story. Bro, you playing in Mila Walkay in the fifties. What? Reminder, Kenosha, Wisconsin happened three months ago, maybe six months ago. The fifties. I can't even imagine. 
You know what I'm saying? Like you want to talk about the, 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 the home run thing is another, his day to day is really what I think about. Like, what were you doing every single day in Milwaukee? Like, that's crazy. I don't know. It's, it's wild. Most segregated city in America to this day. Number one. I mean, going back and looking at the history, he, he didn't want to leave Milwaukee when they moved to Atlanta. He was like, he was like, you want me in the sixties to go play in Atlanta? Oh, he spent all this time in Wisconsin and you want me to go farther south? Are you insane? Exactly. And then he wanted to go back to Milwaukee at the end, which is a whole other thing. But uh, I, I, mean, I, yeah. I, you're, you're, I mean, you have made it very clear. It's very obvious, right? How absurd that was uh, Milwaukee in the fifties. But I, I, the last thing I want to ask you about is something that I know you've also mentioned, you know, in times before uh, uh, Aaron's passing um, is his connection with Atlanta, which hmm. he was, you know, obviously there for, for a huge portion of his career. That's where he was when he breaks the record. He eventually, once ownership changes, he moves into the front office and he has been quoted saying he watches every Braves game. And like, clearly that's the team he still associates with. And as for discussions that have nothing to do with this, there's a lot of reasons that people want to change the name, the Atlanta Braves. And you, have you know, talked it's a, about, a big yeah. reason. Go, go and look at the Washington Post article that Clinton <laughs> mentioned and look at yeah, some of the that, logos that should, on the Milwaukee you, uh, Brave baseball cards. Thank you, G, for pointing that out. That I was talk, talking nice to this with my homie who's a big baseball card guy. And he was like, yeah, some of these cards are great, but you just can't like them because they got big racist imagery on. That's correct. Big race. And, and so... You have you have mentioned um, as uh, now much of the discussion around this particular issue is focused on Cleveland because they've already announced they're changing their name. But Atlanta, just the way this work is likely going to be next. Um, and you've suggested the notion of them naming the team the Atlanta Hammers. And I mean, that's awesome and is a way easier solution than probably anything Cleveland has. But I guess I just wanted to hear you talk about the connection between Aaron and Atlanta and how you think that could maybe be a, a way to to honor him in the future? Because um, I, I think it's it's kind of a fascinating timeline, just him going down to Atlanta and connecting with that city. I agree. And one of the things I want to mention just before the the hammers discussion, which by the way has to happen. So what are we doing? I'm not just saying that because it was my idea. Like guys, this is too. This is a dunk. You know what I'm saying? Too easy. Stand up too easy. Doubles. Too easy. You know what I'm saying? It has to happen. That's a, anyway. We'll get to that. But. You mentioned how he went into the front office of the Braves. There was also discussion at one point that he might even be up for commissioner. Like, Henry Aaron was a baseball fan. This is also a thing that I admire the hell out of him for. This dude could have easily gone into the hills of Minnesota, Tennessee, wherever the hell he wants to go. You know what I'm saying? And been like, nobody talked to me ever again because y'all were the worst. You know what I'm saying? That would have been a completely acceptable life path for Henry Aaron did not happen. You know what I'm saying? Gets gives back to the game from a brave standpoint was just an obvious general ambassador in general for what baseball was for years. I mean, you know, for, I mean, listen, let's not get it twisted. This is how Henry Aaron made a lot of money too. being the home run King had its value, which was worth it. And he deserved, might I add, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you should be a star, but he wasn't the kind of person that also like, I think about Tommy Lasorda when Tommy Lasorda passed and Tommy Lasorda was, you know, oh, Tommy Lasorda's eating yo play. Tommy Lasorda's, I don't know, riding roller skates down. He's exercising. Like there was a certain ridiculousness about his character that was there because you knew he was the Dodgers manager, but he was also just a funny guy. 
Henry, 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 listen to me. Henry Aaron wasn't even that guy. He was just like, yeah, oh yeah, it's me, the home run king. You know what I'm saying? Chiming in. How about that? You know, and here's some baseball to watch too. Like it was cool. You know what I'm saying? It was like somebody that welcomed you to the game that I, I can't think of. I mean, I can't even think who would do that now, you know, or who, or what avenues that would even be like, who, I mean, like, is there a show on MLB network where somebody just like kind of tells you stories about the old days? Not that Henry Aaron was doing that, but like, that's the kind of thing I would think about what happened now. That just doesn't exist. And I don't know who would even do it. You know, I mean, I could think about it, but he was an ambassador to the game in a real way, you know, and that very much to me informed a large part about what was so interesting about his relationship with the Braves is that, I mean, what's that franchise without Aaron? I, I, I don't know. You, know. you got Dale Murphy. Pretty, it's get pumped. It's pretty white. And, right, it's pretty white. Like, the, one of the blackest cities in yeah, America, right? Exactly. Like, you know, you covered a lot of bases, pun intended, by making sure this guy was a large part of what the look of your franchise was. And I don't think that was necessarily cheap, you know? But I do think that in a situation in 2021 where, bro, that name has to go. I mean, first of all, the chop has to, the chop, the chant, all that nonsense has to go. We know that. At least polite, reasonable, intelligent society, as far as I'm concerned, understands that. And I hate to get all into this, but I understand also that, like, I don't want to say tradition, but the operational machinations of actually changing things does involve a certain level of difficulty and annoyance that in a lot of people's minds is not worth it unless something is an outright slur. I don't buy that, but I understand why for people, frankly, of smaller minds, this is a hurdle. Not a hurdle in this situation. You can keep your little stupid diagonal thing on your jerseys. You know what I'm saying? You got a great name to say. You're honoring Henry. It's a dunk. It's a dunk. It's a dunk. You, who is, what Braves is going to be like, no, I don't want to honor Henry Aaron. Okay, it's yes. Better than the original. That's the key. <laughs> right. You know? right, right. It is It is an upgrade. It is an upgrade. So, right, thank you. Um, right. That's the word I was looking for. It's an upgrade. And so a lot of people are like, oh, this and all that. And there is a reasonable amount of discourse around the notion that this is a little too convenient for the Braves. And I don't dismiss that. However, I'm also very much of the belief that there's not a wrong time to do the right thing. And in general, like, bro, I, I mean, I, Am I gonna, is anybody going to sit here and say, oh, you should have done it when he was alive? I mean, I said it when he was alive, do it when he's alive. But now that he is not, well, yeah, okay, still do it. You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what are we talking about here? And so for me, I think that you probably do say that, though, if you're the Braves. You might say it's overdue. That, and this gives you some cover if you have an issue with people thinking that you're sort of selling yourself out. Not that I'm trying to give them talking points, but like, you know, if the Braves come out and say, this is something we should have done a long time ago, and here's what we're doing now, and you actually take the time to discuss what it was that you should have done a long time ago, and perhaps why, it's a lot harder to be mad at a franchise when you change to that than if you go to, I don't know, calling them the Red Raiders or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if you're making a move that's historically significant within itself, I, I think there is a little bit more legitimate emotional cover to why it hadn't happened before if you are willing to explain it. If you just turn the switch and act like, oh, look at us. Yeah, we got the hammers now. That's not cool. You know what I'm saying? It has to come with the fundamental understanding and teaching of why all of this happened and not just when a legend passed, you decided to shortcut it to making your team name his name. Last thing I want to ask you about is kind of where Hank Aaron fits 
in the legacy and development of black activism within sports. Because, you know, he is in Atlanta in the late 60s, literally sitting down with Andrew Young and Martin Luther King. Yeah. Like, that's heavy and significant. And I'm, I, I, what we saw in the days after his death was kind of the sanding down of the edges of the Hank Aaron story in a lot of ways. And I'm curious for you, like, kind of not the takeaways, the lessons from the Hank Aaron story in that regard, but maybe like where he fits in the, the development of, because Jackie Robinson is, is, is one side of it and Hank Aaron kind of carries that torch. Maybe I'm asking a bad jumble question. No, 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 question, no. And you're I'm not, just, you're not. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to, because I am a television star, I'm going to link this back to something that is very important right now in media. And I mean this in the sincerest way. Have you seen the movie One Night in Miami? No, I've not. It's an interesting movie about how Sam Cooke, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Malcolm X ended up in the same situation surrounding the Muhammad Ali fight. Now, it's based on a play, and not to ruin it, not that it matters, but what it is, is it's a conversation about, and it focuses around this notion of how each of these guys fit into the struggle. And they are personally talking to each other about this and what they roles they play and so on and so forth. And this is something that I think about a lot in the context of how each generation of famous activists sort of goes about it. Jackie Robinson was the fighter. Willie Mays was the star. And Hank Henry Aaron was the diplomat. That's kind of how I look at this in terms of what the approach was that have that you sort of have to have in different ways in order for people to understand all of who we are. Not everybody can be the fighter. Not everybody can be the star. And not everybody's going to listen to somebody who's just going to come to the table and talk like a normal person. You know what I'm saying? And that's where I think Henry fit in. And that probably gets forgotten because it doesn't have the bluster of a Muhammad Ali. It doesn't have the sort of overarching literal Hollywood star power of a Jim Brown. It doesn't have the sort of loquaciousness of a Muhammad Ali, but it certainly has the steady grace of what it takes, you know what I'm saying, to make sure that you're representing yourself and representing us well. And that, again, goes back to the lineage. They ain't, ain't, no, ain't no receipts in which you're finding some shortcuts on Henry's resume. That ain't happening. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, when he walks in, you have to listen. That guy doesn't have to be loud. He doesn't have to be flashy. And nobody's trying to fight him. It's, it's interesting you point that out. Like, in the Howard Bryant book, there's a scene where Aaron gets traded to Atlanta and requests a meeting with, you know, MLK and a meeting with Andrew Young. And he said, what can I do? And they basically tell him to keep hitting home runs. Right. They're like, they're like you being a black star in Atlanta in the deep South in the late sixties, being the home run King, like that's 85, 90% of what you got to do. Right. And it's interesting to hear you talk about how like Aaron, it seems like he had that moment where he realized that was his, that was the the path that he seemed to feel comfortable well, with. And I think a lot of that has to do with where with he's his from own personality. You know, listen, Alabama is Alabama, dog. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. Mobile is Mobile, too. You know, so that's a page for Mobile. You know what I'm saying? There, like, there's a lot. I mean, Mobile has a very vibrant black community where, uh, how do I say this? Like, it's, 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 this is tough to describe, but like, this is a mindset that when you're from a black place, like, it's not that big of a deal to be black. So like your confidence in yourself does not always require the same things that people expect of you in order to communicate your message. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's, that's very much what Henry put across to me. It's like, yeah, yo, this, this is who I am, dog. I'm, I'm going to do this. Like, we don't chill out. 
I'm gonna hit, I'm gonna like hit these home runs and make these 25 All Star games. Really quick. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? Like, bruh, this is this is what this is the good part. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can you can have that and you can chill. So like, you know, and like, so when you hippies get on me when I'm running between second and third, now you can get off. Me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm trying to break a record over here, but you know, um, that's 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 what yeah. I think about with him. You know, it's like, yeah, yo, there's a brother from Mobile who was a beast. You know what I'm saying? In baseball. So that's that's that. That's what you literally bring to the table. And that's what he knew people were going to pay attention to. And it wasn't really necessary for him to get outside of that too much because why bother? That's what we're here for. Just the Five major league Hall of Famers from Mobile, Alabama. Five. <laughs> Name them. Name them. Name Billy Williams, McCovey, Satchel Page, Ozzie Smith, and Henry Aaron. And double like, duty Radcliffe. Imagine, I know he's not your boy, Hall of Famer is from the bigs. Like, let me tell you this. Imagine if you were from a town and you make the Hall of Fame and not only are you not the best player, not only do you not even make the medal state, you might not even be top five, dog. Like, what? What? Billy Williams is the fifth best black Hall of Famer for Mobile, Alabama. <laughs> what is Billy that? Billy Williams. Yeah. I, like, mean, I mean, like, I imagine on New Year, night before Thanksgiving, the rest of those guys get hammered and they roll around and roll to Billy Williams' house and egg him like, ah, you're the fifth best Hall of Famer in town, player. Go back to sleep, you know, or whatever. Like, I mean, it's just, I don't know. This is kind of weird. This is where my, my mind goes. But, you no, know, it's true. Uh, sweet, <laughs> sweet swing and Billy would be, uh, you know, the goat in 99% of towns. Dude, but, also, sorry, th- I, I know he's not mobile, but Willie Mays being, you know, just two hours up the road and like he played against Hank Aaron in high school football. Just it's crazy. Casually you know, fucking nuts. That's the thing I'd be saying all the time about, I mean, not to get too far into this, but this is what I talked to Wags about is that like, you know, bro, if you just subsumed a couple teams into the bigs or even into the minors back in the day, instead of just plucking one guy, we'd have a totally different baseball landscape in America. But you know, what happened is what happened. So here we are. Anything else? Anything else you want to, you want to talk about? Say Hank Aaron or really anything, anything else? No, I'm just, I don't, I don't know. All right. What do you guys got going on? We're, we're, I'm going to have some lunch. I'm like Han Solo in Star Wars. Hi, how are you? Well, that boring conversation anyway. <laughs> Luke, uh, we have company! Splendid. Anyway, that's a Star Wars <laughs> reference for those of you who need that. That means it's time for me to come. We, we squeeze Ju- June, June is happy that you said that. Um, <laughs> Clinton Yates, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate no you. All right, be safe, y'all. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. All right, Jordan, before we bid everyone adieu, a couple notes before we exit. A couple reports bubbling out the players union and the league not agreeing on stuff. How about what? Wait a minute. But I thought that they both would have the best interests in baseball in mind. Wait, what? That's weird. The league does not. Yeah. The league's not really uh, about that. Um, This is the first of a, what will be many frustrating reports. It'll be like deja vu from last summer about the negotiation about what the 2021 season is going to look like. Uh, This is only the beginning of this, which is not particularly fun because um, 
it's not an enjoyable thing to discuss. But the reason why we're not going hardcore discussion about the union rejecting the DH because they don't want to expand the playoffs is because this is going to change a bunch of times over the next few weeks. And trying to decipher it now is pointless. Uh, also, the report about, you know, Arizona being like, hey, delay spring training, even though we have, you know, fans. The Phoenix yeah, Coyotes. Yeah, even though, like, the hockey games have fans and football has fans. Like, again, all of this is going to become much more clear uh, for better or for worse in the coming weeks. And so trying to overreact to this inkling of news is truly not worth it, in my opinion. So we will talk about that, of course, but we just wanted to acknowledge that, yes, we saw it too, but it's not worth trying to decipher right now. So that's one thing. We are recording this podcast Tuesday afternoon. This evening, it's probably already happened for you in the future. Hall of Fame results uh, will be announced, have been announced, whatever, whatever. Chances are, it looks likely that no one will get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, the only person with a chance is Kurt Schilling. Uh, why are all you people voting for him? You don't have to vote for him. You don't have to write about how you feel bad voting for him. Just you don't have to. You don't have to vote for him. Just don't do it. Just don't vote. Just don't. I'm not going to do it because I can't. And Jordan's <laughs> not either. But you shouldn't. Also yeah. should not vote for Kurt Schilling. And and really, I, if you're wondering, like, if you're into the Hall of Fame discussion and and wondering why we have not mentioned it once in the last few months, um, it's just, it's, listen, the, the shilling part of it is, is obviously a big part of it, but it, what it is about now is very uh, unpleasant. And the, the, the format of it and the fact that we are forced to treat the electorate which is baseball writers that I do respect and care about to some degree. It just makes me not really care that much and take it seriously. And and I cannot think about the Hall of Fame uh, discussion in a way that um, I, I just I just don't care. And by the way, personally, as you know, Jake, like, yeah, I, you I used wrote, to. I used to really care about this. Um, and I think that people in our generation also just don't care about it as much in general. I think that that's generally true. But like, I really did used to care about it. I wrote my senior thesis on steroids in the Hall of Fame. Like, I I did this. Like, I, I was very into it. But where I'm at on it now is is it's it's and a lot's changed. And I I I it's hard to to get to get into it um, for a lot of obvious reasons and for a lot of complicated reasons. But uh, right. it's too I bad. Mean, but yeah. There is one side of the discussion, which is every time someone votes for Schilling or, you know, Omar Vizquel now, yeah. Yeah. there's a tight, there's like, it, it just, it, it, it chips away every single time at the validity and the importance of this organization that already, you know, for a lot of people, I would say us included to some extent, didn't really matter to us. And like the gatekeeping of the voters, of who those voters are, which is mostly older white sports writers that gets to kind of dictate the narrative of the sport. And that's what the hall of fame errs are. That's not important. It, and, and it shouldn't it's, or I'll speak for myself, I guess here, like it's not important to me now anymore, as I've kind of learned more and read more. I don't need these people, the, the sports writers to tell me who, should be remembered and why. Mm -hmm. And like, I would say, I, yeah. And I would say too, like the fun part of the, the Hall of Fame discussion is not necessarily the debate, but like Todd Helton was a badass. And like, I like talking, I mean, we just had the best pitch pod. Like talking about Billy Wagner is fun. You know, like that's cool, right? 
but it is it has become so much more and um and i think we've all just realized that discussing about it and and being beholden to this electorate is not is not worth it yeah um, and like the 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 my hall of fame ballot article economy mm-hmm. is just so stupid and like pointless it's like these players can mean something to all of us mm-hmm beyond what any of the voters can say. And like the one thing that keeps me not coming back or attached to it, but the one thing that kind of gives me a a modicum of pause is that it does mean something to the players, right? Sure. sure. And that's what in a kind of way is unfortunate. And like it, it should mean something to the players. Like it is an honor, but I hope that the baseball world can celebrate and appreciate Manny Ramirez and Billy Wagner, you know, whether or not they get into the Hall of Fame and that Manny Ramirez and Billy Wagner are wholly and totally content with their careers and their baseball mm-hmm. lives, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. I don't know. So um, that's kind of where we're at on that. It's not um, fun anymore. Like, yeah, it, and maybe it was never fun, but that's true. That's it's true. certainly not fun anymore. Yeah. So that's kind of uh, where we're at on that. And I, it seems most likely that no one's going to get it anyway. Um, but, uh, but that's, that's kind of, we just wanted to, to acknowledge that because that news will obviously be coming out. So. And just a quick reminder, don't vote for Kurt Schilling. Oh yeah, yeah. If you are, yeah, that'd be, that'd be cool he's to not, a not vote for him. Bad person. Bad person. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, that's it. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Clinton Yates for talking to us about the legend that was Henry Aaron. Thank you to Bobby Wagner for producing this podcast. And you think Bobby Wagner in. gets in Hall of Fame vote tonight? I will say I would vote for Bobby. Veterans Uh, Committee? Bobby (laughs) Wagner Veterans Committee? Someone was tweeting at me yesterday. They were like, that's a pretty hot take for the second best middle linebacker in his own division. And I was like, guys, come on. But I am going to make, I'm going to make Canton one day. You are the first. Hell yeah. You're the best linebacker. Who is better than you in the NFC? Okay, no football talk. All right. Thank you, guys. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you, Clinton. Um, and uh, rest in peace, Hank Aaron, one of the best to ever do it. Adios. Talk to you next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.